You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And uh, we are starting a new series in the Gospel of Mark today. I'm super excited for this. It is called The Good News. The Good News. And so as we get going into this series, I want to do a little bit of a poll today. It's going to be a smaller poll uh, than it would have been if the ice wasn't threatening us. Uh, But if you're here, uh, you can participate. If you're online, do the poll amongst your family. Um, What is the primary way that you receive your news, like, like your world events, local happenings, those sorts of things, right? Uh, how many of you are old school, you get your news primarily from a newspaper? Anyone? All right, the newspaper truly is out. Um, how many of you get your news from a local TV news station? All right, just a couple more there. Uh, network cable news. All right, a few, a few. Um, how about uh, from a radio network? Yeah, when you're out driving in your car, right, that sort of thing, yep. Uh, how many of you uh, have just been so fed up with the network news that you turned to YouTube and you found a YouTube station? Um, okay, uh, yeah, a couple, couple people, yeah, a couple people, right? Um, how about an email-based delivery service? Anyone? Okay, a couple people got an email-based delivery service. Uh, how many of you... I bet about it, your hands are going to go up. Only get your news from what other headlines other people share. All right? Okay, so yeah, you're just scrolling through social media or, or somebody else tells you something happened. You're like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a headline reader too, typically. Um, and, and so uh, I, I totally get that. Um, but I think this is becoming clear. There are a ton of ways that we can receive news. And there is a ton of news out there. There's no shortage of stories to be told, no shortage of information to communicate. But no matter how you get your news, someone or a group of people, think about this, they sorted through the stories. They decided what was most important to share. They put it into some sort of communicable form, and then they delivered it to you. A lot of preparation had to go into that, right? Um, Not only that, we as the recipients must prepare ourselves to go to the news source, pick up the newspaper, open the email, turn on the TV. We decide to pay close attention or not. We weigh out the truths of what's being told to us, and then we determine what we are going to do in light of that news. So maybe uh, we change the way that we go to work because there's a traffic jam according to the Trafax report. Or we decide to vote in a different way because of a report that we heard going on in the world. Uh, New information, when it has any weightiness to it at all, will affect a transformation in the way that we think, in the way that we feel, and in what we do. 
And so all of this is true when we then encounter the good news of Jesus Christ, particularly as that good news is conveyed in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four gospel writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, they sorted through all of the countless stories, the, the true stories about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, they decided what was most important to share. They put it into a communicable form, and then they delivered it to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's like watching four different reliable newscasts of the same event. I know that that seems like an oxymoron, reliable newscasts, right? But these guys are reliable. You can count on it because they're all inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And then we, as recipients, must, of course, respond accordingly. We must prepare ourselves to go to the good news. In our case, we're going to the Gospel of Mark over the next year. Uh, We must decide that we're going to pay close attention to what he has to say. We're we're not going to be like the the guy sitting on the couch scrolling social media while the TV news is running and not really paying all that close attention, right? We must weigh out the truth that's being told to us. And then we must determine what we should think, feel, and do in response to the news that we have heard. And so it's our our prayer as a leadership team, uh, as elders, as deacons, that our response to Mark's gospel as a whole church will be to decisively say, along with Mark himself, that now is the time. Now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the vision that we're running with for this whole series, that we would be so convinced, so captivated by this Jesus that Mark presents to us that we would waste no time in telling others, in telling everyone the good news about Him. It's God's design that every hearer of this news would also become a broadcaster of the news. That's how Jesus said his news gets published far and wide. It's carried on the lips of every disciple who grows to know and love him. The news watcher becomes the newscaster that is inherent to believing this good news itself. But just like every newscaster, that means we must be prepared. We must become familiar with the top news stories of Jesus' life. We must gear up to go into the hostile places like the reporters that have to put on their bulletproof vests. And we need to carry that message of victory to share it with those who might not want to hear it. We must have this news on the tip of our tongue because it is the overflow of our hearts. And so as we introduce this series today, uh, we're going to run with this big idea, prepare yourself to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Prepare. Count the cost. Understand what we are getting into as a church, what we are calling us to as a church. Prepare yourself to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 1. And verses 1 to 15 serve as Mark's introduction 
to Jesus' life and ministry. It's really his preparation for us as we begin to read the, the, the Gospel of Mark. It's his introductory material, his prologue, if you will. And today, as we get acclimated to the book through this prologue, uh, we're going to see four ways that we must prepare ourselves to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Four ways. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Mark writes, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was with, in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels minister, were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, this section is a great example of the whole way that Mark has written his account of, of his gospel, uh, kind of punchy. It's to the point. He doesn't waste words. And yet, even in his rapid style, he includes some very interesting details that others do not in order to capture our attention and cause us to think. Did you catch like the little thing about the wild beasts? We'll get to that. Mark is giving us exactly what we need to engage with this gospel and come to terms with the good news of Jesus the Christ. And so today we want to look at four preparations that we need to make as we get into this study. And the first is this, uh, prepare to love Jesus for who he is. Prepare to love Jesus for who he is. The, the wording of our series vision and our big idea for today both come from chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There is so much packed into that little verse that it's going to take our entire first point here. But the bottom line is that Mark is telling us what he has set out to prove what we are about to read and experience. He says, the beginning. 
or the origin, the source, the cause, the initiation, the beginning of the gospel. The the word gospel simply means good news. Mark wants to share with us some good news. In fact, he wants to share with us the source, the beginning of all good news. What we're about to experience is not the typical doom and gloom, uh, fear-mongering of the 5 o'clock nightly news that we typically turn on, which is mostly bad, bad news with some nice, cute little special interest pieces mixed in to get, make sure that you don't get too depressed. No, 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 this is good news. He's going to recognize the bad news, but this is good news. Now, this word for gospel could be good news about anything, but most commonly in Jesus' day, it was good news of a military victory or good news of the coming of a king. And that fits very well with Mark's gospel because this is the beginning, the initiation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The, The gospel, both small g gospel, we write it with a small g when we're talking about like, proclaiming the gospel to one another, and then we write it with a big G when we're talking about the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Both of them are simply the biography of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel is primarily the biography of Jesus. It's the biography of the Son of God, which makes it a theological biography. It is about a person, You are not at the center of the gospel Jesus is. And then we must decide how to respond to that. The consistent response that God calls for throughout the Bible is repentance, which then results in faith, hope, and love. And so the gospel is the biography, the very true story, the news of Jesus. And the the news is good because of who Jesus is. And because of what Jesus does. And so Mark describes Jesus in two very succinct ways. First, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Christ. He is the promised, anointed, Savior, King. And I do this with you just about every time we get to the word Christ, because I want you to remember it. Say it with me. He is the promised, anointed, Savior, King. He's the promised, anointed, Savior, King. One more time. He's the promised, anointed Savior King. I want that to not sound like a last name to you. I want that phrase, promised, anointed Savior King, to pop into your mind every time you read the word Christ. He is the one who fulfills all of the God, God's promises to His people. He is the one who is anointed by God the Father with the Holy Spirit We're going to see that in his baptism in just a few moments. He is the Savior who came to rescue his people from the bondage of Satan, sin, and death by dying for his people, by storming the gates of hell, and by defeating the enemy through his resurrection. And he is the king. He is the king. He is the one to whom all power and authority belongs in all heaven and earth. And Jesus can be that Christ because he is the Son of God. 
Now this term, son of God, is rich with Old Testament meaning. Uh, Often in the Old Testament, it refers specifically to the king who sits on David's throne. But in Jesus, it takes an even more rich meaning. Because Jesus is the eternal, only begotten son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who is God from eternity past. And now God has initiated a new phase of his plan as the Son of God has taken on human flesh and a a full, perfect human nature. And at that point, we call his name Jesus. We see this unique part of Jesus' identity as the Son of God in his baptism as well. And so we're going to get to that in just a few moments. But for now, I want us to see that Mark desires to present Jesus as he truly is. In all of his glory, in all of his fulfillment of God's plan. And he wants us to hear that as good news. I am convinced that Mark not only wants us to know Jesus, he also wants us to love Jesus. I I believe that's what's wrapped up in that idea of good, the good news. To love him for who he is, not for who we want him to be. One of the major turning points in the Gospel of Mark comes in Mark chapter 8, and Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do the people say that I am? And they told him, uh, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, And of course, Peter chimes in and he says, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. Mark is pointing us forward right here in chapter 1, verse 1 to that moment. Peter realizes, and where you must realize, he is the Christ. There are so many things that uh, people think Jesus said or did that aren't really the whole truth. Have you ever been talking to somebody and, and you just realize their concept of who Jesus is is more really about who they want Jesus to be than the reality of who he is? We live in a pretty religious part of our country. Uh, most people around here are familiar with Jesus, at least by name. They might even say they believe in him. But when you get to the bottom of who they think Jesus is, or what they believe about him, it becomes clear that they don't really know him. They don't know him personally. They don't love him. We think of him as a good teacher, a good leader, a healer. They think of him as a good luck charmer, a good force in the world who's there to keep them safe and accomplish their dreams if they ask him to. But Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And we must get that clear in our heads and in our hearts and in our minds and then learn to clarify that whenever we encounter someone who says that they believe in Jesus, but, but their lives just don't seem to reflect a love for him, a walking with him, a knowing him personally. The true person and work of Jesus is good news, people. And it demands our response. 
I believe the natural response is you read these true stories of Jesus' life in Mark's gospel, if the Holy Spirit is working in you at all, the natural response is to love him. For some reason, maybe it's because of my own relationship with Jesus, but when I look at Mark 1 verse 1, every single time I read it, I don't, I don't know why, and you might think I'm stupid or something, but the, 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 a song pops into my head it's like from the 1950s or something by Billing Gloria Gaither. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master, Savior, Healer. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms, they'll all pass away. But there's something about that. And I pray I pray that that is your response. As we explore the truth of who Jesus is and what he means to be to be Christ, the Son of God in our lives. Uh, under our, our broader series vision, our very first stated goal is this. I mean, we talk about telling others, right? But the first goal has to be this, that you would grow to know and love Jesus more closely. That you would grow to know and love Jesus more closely. We sang it this morning. I want to know you and know you more. And to know him is to love him, and to love him is to tell others about him. And you can't, you won't tell others the good news of Jesus if you don't know and love him yourself. As you read and study his mighty works and his powerful teaching, allow your heart to be overtaken with a love for Jesus. That's one of the benefits of God revealing him to us in biography, story form. We actually get to know him and what he was like and how he related to people and we get to love him as a result. Prepare to love who Jesus is this year, not just who you want him to be. Now, this identity of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, sets him apart as a holy and unique feature, figure. I'm sorry. He is the, the fulfillment of all of God's plan for his people, and he must not be taken lightly. And so that's why we must make this second preparation if we're to tell others the good news of Jesus. Uh, we must prepare to turn to his straight paths. Prepare to turn to his straight paths. Look at verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Isaiah had foretold that a messenger would come before the coming of the Lord. A messenger who called God's people to prepare the way. This is a call for repentance. A call to stop turning to the right and to the left. To stop turning to the crooked paths and to return to the straight paths of the Lord. 
And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. Uh, All four gospel writers include his ministry at the beginning of the good news of Jesus. You can't start the good news of Jesus without connecting it to the Old Testament. He is the one, John is the one, called to prepare God's people for the Son's arrival. He came as a figure of Elijah, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And that's why Mark tells us that, that he was wearing uh, camel skin and, and all that stuff. That, that that's, that's what Elijah wore. And just like Elijah, John called God's people to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. And, and when you think of John, you should think of him as this bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament and Jesus He is calling Israel primarily back to covenant faithfulness to God so that they would not miss the coming of the Christ who their law was all about. And many were responding. People from out throughout all the hill country of Judea and from all Jerusalem were turning to the Lord. They were going out to the wilderness, which is important because they were going then away from the synagogues. And away from Jerusalem where the temple was and they were going to the desolate places and they were moving away from the religious leaders and all of their fickle teaching. And they were going out to the wilderness, to the desolate places. They were making themselves lowly. They were confessing their sins. They were getting baptized. And the pump was primed for revival. And all the while, John was saying, I'm not the source of revival. Jesus is. This is not all that there is, people. There is someone coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I'm just baptizing you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hold on to that for later. Because before Jesus would baptize his people with the Holy Spirit, he first had to be baptized by John and be anointed by the Spirit, by God the Father. And so look at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Remember, John is is the bridge from the Old Testament to Jesus, and, and baptism is the way that Jesus identified himself with John's ministry. But in his baptism, he was then set apart from John as the fulfillment of the message and the beginning of a new era. This is the moment. This is the moment where Jesus is first announced to be the Christ, the promised, anointed Savior King, the Son of God. As Mark describes the scene, Mark uses this word immediately in verse 10. Uh, It's one of Mark's favorite words as you're reading through and you're doing the study guide, you're just going to see this again and again. Immediately, 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 immediately. And it's, here's the interesting thing, it's the exact same word as straight in verse 3. It's less about the timing of things, because Mark is not very good at putting things in chronological order. It's less about the timing of things and it's more about the connection of things. The straight line of thought that goes between them. And so John baptizes Jesus with water 
and immediately, or as the King James says, and I kind of like this, straight away, straight away, God the Father sends God the Spirit to anoint Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 2, you are my beloved son. We have all three persons of the Trinity portrayed here, but even more than that, you have to understand that Psalm 2, that God the Father is quoting here, was a hymn that was used to anoint the king of Israel. And it was seen as anticipating the final Messiah and and the, the one who would come and rule with a rod of iron and crush the nations and laugh at their mockery of him. And so the gospel writers are connecting this baptism with their whole purpose, to to present Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. That's why they record it. That's why they include it. And John is that that bridge from the Old Testament to Jesus, and Jesus is, is this fulfillment of the Old Testament and this beginning of the new era. But Mark is also starting another straight path here that's going to continue throughout this book, a, a straight path from Galilee to Jerusalem. Did you see that? In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now we know from the other gospel writers that Jesus' ministry took him back and forth between Galilee and Jerusalem a number of times. But Mark organizes the story of his gospel in such a way that it looks like one straight path from Jesus' beginnings of his ministry in Galilee, where he is viewed most favorable, to Jerusalem in the south, where the response to Jesus is hostile and he faces crucifixion and death and ultimately resurrection. In organizing his gospel in this way, Mark gives us a sense of Jesus' laser focus of going to the cross. The straight paths of Jesus led him directly to the cross. And that's important for us because it means that to turn to the straight paths of Jesus, we're going to have to turn from the crooked paths of our own self-preservation and vainglory. We're going to have to see our old self crucified and our new self in Christ come to life. You can't read about this baptism in any sort of believing way, in any sort of faith-filled way and not think that this Jesus guy deserves a little more than your casual acknowledgement of who he is. I mean, God doesn't just open up the heavens and audibly speak and declare someone to be the Son of God just every day, right? This is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And we must prepare our hearts to turn to his straight paths. You cannot follow Jesus. You cannot tell others the good news about him and still walk in the crooked paths of your selfish desire. You simply can't do it. You can't try to keep doing your own thing and then squeeze a little Jesus in on the side. The whole plan of God centers on Him. He is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament story. And our stories are about His story, not the other way around. In our sin nature, our paths and His paths are wildly divergent. If you think that believing in Jesus means that your whole life gets to look mostly the same, except you go to church on Sundays and you pray before you eat and you have some religious little rituals that you do, then you have a seriously skewed vision of what it means to follow Jesus. 
You have a seriously skewed vision of what it means to acknowledge and accept and receive that he is the Christ, the Son of God. The reason some professing Christians are not growing as disciples who make disciples is because they're too busy walking their own crooked paths. Sure, we use excuses like, I don't have the time. I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. What if I get in a conversation where I'm in over my head? I'm not around unbelievers all that much. But if we were walking the paths of Jesus, we're going to see so clearly in the book of Mark, if we're walking the paths of Jesus, we'd see all of our time as belonging to him. We would devour his word and understand his story. We would constantly put ourselves around unbelievers and we would learn to see the unbelievers around us with compassion as those sheep without a shepherd, as those ones who need the healing balm of our Savior. To believe the gospel, to follow Jesus, is to radically reorient our lives according to his paths. We'll see this again and again in the book of Mark. That there is no being a Christian without repentance, without turning to the straight paths of following Jesus. To believe the gospel is to walk so closely in his way that there is no other possible explanation for our lives and, and therefore that we have to tell others the reason for the hope that is within us, Jesus Christ. Now, the bad news is that the temptations to go astray on crooked paths don't stop coming when we follow Jesus, right? And we've all experienced that little divergence. And if we take that far enough, we're showing that we, we never really knew him. But there's always a coming back, right? The good news is we don't have to come back in our own power. We have a champion who has gone before us and resisted Satan's temptations and we have the same spirit who anointed him and led him in his victory over Satan given to us. So look at verse 12. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. We've got to prepare to love Jesus for who he is. We've got to prepare to turn to his straight paths. But third, we have to prepare to trust his victory over Satan. We must prepare to trust his victory over Satan. Is this all at all disconcerting to you uh, that the Spirit of God drove him out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan? Does that make anyone feel just a little uncomfortable? All right. You guys are better theologians than me, I guess. It's exactly what the text says. That the same Spirit who just descended upon him immediately, straight away, we're supposed to connect those thoughts in our minds, immediately took him out into the wilderness to be tempted by, the, by Satan. And so why? Why? Why is the Holy Spirit putting Jesus in a place of temptation? Because I believe we need to see that Jesus resisted 
all temptation. As the perfect God-man, he was completely sinless and therefore could gain the victory over Satan. Led by the Spirit, he walked in the wilderness places. He walked in the places we dare not go. He faced the things we dare not face. I find it so interesting that Mark does not include barely any of the details that Matthew and Luke include about the specific temptations and how Jesus defeated them and those sorts of things. He doesn't include any of that stuff, but he does include the little fact about the wild animals. That's very typical. He, he seems to exclude big things that we want to know and include seemingly small things that were like, why do I need to know that so that we would think about it and that he can make his point? Mark is pointing us to the fact that Jesus did not just resist temptation. He faced our shame. That's what it looks like to go into the wilderness. Wilderness is all about shame. He took on our guilt, the temptation itself, right? He didn't give in where we gave in. And he faced our fears, dwelling with the wild animals. The wild animals are all about the fear of the wilderness and the things that would kill us. And all of this is foreshadowing the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus sacrificed that sinless life on our behalf. And he took on the shame of the cross. He was driven outside of the city. Outside of the camp. To the cursed place. And he hung on an instrument of torture. Talk about shame. He took on the guilt of our sin. God's punishment for our giving into sin, giving into temptation, was placed upon him who did not give into temptation. And he took on the fear of death. The, the fear that stands behind every other fear is the fear of death. And if that fear is taken care of, then all other fears are worthless. And in his resurrection, he won the victory. And I want you to understand, Jesus did not avoid the bad news to bring you the good news. Jesus did not avoid the suffering and the trials and the temptations and the fears and the shame to bring you the good news. During the height of the 2020 pandemic, uh, with all the bad news coming across the mainstream media outlets, uh, John Krasinski of Office fame, Jim Halpert, you know, he, he started making videos uh, that he called Some Good News. He had his daughter, you know, design that little background there. And uh, he modeled his, a room in his home after a, a news desk, and he made himself the anchor to devote an entire newscast to good news. And his, his goal was to highlight the feel-good messages that make us feel better about all the bad news that's out there, right? And, and I'll admit, the show was kind of fun. He was funny. It's not a bad thing what he did. But the truth is, 
We can't simply make the news good by avoiding the bad news. That doesn't work. To believe in Jesus is not to stick your head in the sand and think optimistically about life. To believe in Jesus is to, to look face to face in the bad, in, 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 with the bad news and then realize there's a victor. Jesus did not avoid the bad news to bring us the good news. He faced and conquered the bad news. He entered into it, and that's why he is the good news. Jesus succeeded where Adam did not. Jesus succeeded where we do not. And the good news is not primarily learn how to fight sin like Jesus did. How many of you have been taught that that's the point of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness? Learn how to fight sin like Jesus did. He used the word. I'm not saying that's bad, right? Like, use the word for sure. But that's not the point. The point is, and the good news is, that Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death on your behalf. He defeated shame, guilt, and fear. And so trust Jesus to overcome sin in his power. You see the difference there? I just feel like somebody needs to hear this. The good news is not primarily to say, learn how to fight sin like Jesus did. The good news is not about making you a good person or making you a better person or the the gospel of self-improvement. The good news is trust Jesus because He's the Christ, the Son of God. One says Jesus is your example for victory. The other says Jesus is your victory. And the power that Jesus gives to his followers is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the very same Spirit who led him in the wilderness. Remember what John said, one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us today and for everyone who has ever read Mark's Gospel. Remember, Mark is telling us stories about what happened in Jesus' life And that's one situation that Mark is addressing. But he's also writing his gospel to churches who are hearing the good news after the coming of the Holy Spirit. People like you and me were were reading this and would have been able to interpret this back through the lens of what Jesus Christ has fully accomplished. And so when they read John's prophecy that Jesus would baptize with the Spirit, and that the Spirit did lead Jesus into the wilderness, they would have recognized that just like us, they have that very same Holy Spirit indwelling them. The Spirit is still leading us through the wilderness of this world. He has not taken us out of it, but we still face the shame, guilt, and fear that we have always faced, but we are now led in the power and victory of Jesus through the ever-present Holy Spirit. Amen. So the question is, do you trust Christ's victory over Satan's schemes in your life? When you feel your heart tugged away to the crooked paths, 
you say, oh man, I got to try harder next time. Maybe I can look for an example in a righteous person that's going to help me. Or do you fall upon the grace of Jesus Christ and his finished work? Say, Jesus, bring me back by the power of your Holy Spirit. This takes us right back to what we studied two weeks ago in Ephesians 6. We, we stand firm in the armor of God, right? We believe and apply the truth of Christ like a belt that holds everything together. We, we guard our hearts with his righteousness that we're going to read about in the book of Mark. We wear his salvation like a helmet about our head. We believe his power and so extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one, just like what Jesus was doing. We, we stand in his readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace and we wield the, sword of, the word of God like a skillful swordsman in the power of the Spirit. We fight from a position of victory, not defeat, because Christ has already won the battle. Jesus engaged in our spiritual warfare. He, he fought Satan. The angels ministered to him and he came out on top so that he, we could be led by his spirit just like he was. And so trust. Trust that his way is better than the enemy. Trust that your enemy is stronger than you but not stronger than him. Trust that even when you walk through the wilderness, he is with you. He went there before you and prepared the way. Trust Him that, that His way is perfect and that His perfect righteousness and spotless sacrifice is sufficient for your salvation. Trust Him that He is the Christ, the Son of God. This is the introduction to who Christ is, his, his trailblazing of straight paths, the trailblazing of straight paths by John the Baptist, this, this initial victory of Jesus over Satan. All of this was, was necessary preparation for Jesus, and it's necessary preparation for us to understand as we launch into the book of Mark. It's necessary for us to understand the, the ministry and the message of Jesus, which Mark summarizes next. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Here's our final preparation that we need to make today in order to tell others the good news of Jesus. We need to prepare to participate in his message of the kingdom. Prepare to participate in his message of the kingdom. The good news is not just something we hear about and we believe from afar. It's something we participate in. The good news is about a king and a kingdom that is at hand. Well, while Jesus did a lot of things, during his earthly ministry, he, he healed a lot of people, he made disciples, he cast out demons, he confronted religious rulers, he did a lot of things, but all of those things serve this one thing. He ushered in his new kingdom through the preaching of his gospel. Everything else supported that. The kingdom is ushered in through the preaching of 
of the gospel. To repent and believe the gospel is to understand that time is fulfilled. The time is now. Jesus has come as the fulfillment of of all of God's redemptive plan. And because the time is fulfilled and God's anointed king has come, the kingdom is at hand. That means that you can reach out and grab it. As close as the chair in front of you, in, in fact, as close as your hand itself, the kingdom is here. Now, that doesn't mean that the kingdom is completely here. We are still waiting for Israel to be fully restored. We are still waiting for Jesus to return and rule with a rod of iron and bring absolute justice like Psalm 2 and like Revelation promises us. We are still waiting for his righteous and just rule on earth to bring peace. We're still waiting for his final judgment. We're still waiting for him to usher in his eternal reign where heaven and earth are one. But the kingdom can still be grasped by each one of us because it is at hand. And that happens by repenting and believing the gospel. We get to, through faith, live in the already of the kingdom even as we wait for the not yet of the kingdom. We get to see the church storm the gates of hell with the gospel news and break down every stronghold and lofty opinion that would stand against the knowledge of God. We get to see new outposts for the kingdom established as more local churches are planted in every nation. We get to see the dominion of Satan crumble and we get to wait for our king with eager hope and expectation. And this is the message of Jesus. This is the message of the book of Mark. And I want you to know what to expect. I want you to know how to get ready. You must decide what to do with this Jesus. Mark is presenting Jesus so that we would decisively act upon the message. There is no middle ground. There is no sitting on the fence. You are either for him or against him. You are either in his kingdom or not. And so repent and believe the good news. You are invited into the best kingdom. This is not bad news, people. This is good news. Repent and believe it. Believe it fully. Believe it with all your heart. Believe it with all your life. We already set out the first goal of this series, that you would grow to know and love Jesus more closely. And as that happens, you're going to begin to participate in the kingdom in the next two ways. Second and third goals here. First, that you would be able to clearly communicate the person and work of Jesus Christ to others. Uh, That part is easy once you know and love him, right? It's not hard talking about somebody you know and love. I could talk to you all day long about Katie. I could talk to you all day long about my best friend Jeff. But then we don't just want to be able to communicate Jesus in theory. 
We don't just want to talk about evangelism. We don't just want to talk about disciple making. We actually want to get after it and do it. And so that leads to this third goal, that you would be able to help at least one unbeliever encounter Jesus this year. I hope that it's a lot more for most of you. But I hope that you would be able to help one unbeliever encounter Jesus this year, potentially inviting them to read the gospel of Mark and discuss it with you. I'm going to get to that in a moment because that might seem like, what? It's not how I help people encounter Jesus. It can be. But I want you to understand first that you aren't a fully formed disciple until you are making disciples. We're going to talk about that even more next week. But you aren't a fully formed disciple until you are making disciples, until you are participating in the kingdom of God by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to others. And so uh, we try to to visualize this uh, in our discipleship pathway that we use here at Oak Hill. And uh, it's up on the screen for you there. Uh, The first phase of our discipleship pathway is the proclaiming phase. And and that's when you're, you're just learning about Jesus, maybe for the first time. You're getting to know him, and and you might even be getting to love him. And at some point in that first circle there uh, is representing when you repent and believe. When you turn from your crooked paths and you say, I'm I'm facing the right direction. I'm facing the direction of Jesus. I heard a a quote from David Pallison this week when, when he said, so much of the Christian life is about the direction you're facing. Are you facing towards Jesus or are you facing away from Jesus? So much of the Christian life is about the direction you're facing. And you, at some point you realize that Jesus is the Christ. You realize that he's the son of God. You realize that his kingdom is at hand. And then you're baptized into his kingdom, community, the church. It's, it's what baptism is all about. It's about entering into the membership of the church, entering into the community of his saints, the church recognizing that together. And then you, when that happens, you enter the second phase, the equipping phase. You're getting to know and love Jesus even more. The proclaiming doesn't stop. You're, you're learning to abide and endure and grow in him. You're learning to clearly communicate him to others. You're discussing and practicing these things in the safety of a gospel community. You're, you're, you're growing in your ability to articulate the gospel to others by, by articulating it to other people, other believers. But you haven't become a fully formed disciple who makes disciples just by knowing or talking about Jesus and about making disciples. You actually have to tell others about him. And that's the sending phase. When you're sent out as a witness to help unbelievers encounter Jesus, you're going to be edifying the church. You're going to be building up the church with with the gospel, but you're also going to be telling other unbelievers about the good news. And this series is all about proclaiming Jesus, equipping you to proclaim Jesus, and then sending you out as his witness. That's our mission as a church. That's our pathway of discipleship. That's what we're going after together. You need to figure out where am I on that pathway. We long for every person who hears the good news here to believe it, 
to be equipped in it, and then to go make disciples in it. We have a, an online self-assessment that you can take if you're trying to figure out where am I at or how could I take my next step of growth towards being somebody who makes disciples. We say often, don't take all the steps, take the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. But also to help with this, we've put a number of resources on our website uh, including a study guide that goes along with this series that's for people within the church here uh, as they're going to be hearing uh, the sermons preached. And, and yet I want to point out another resource that we've put on the website there for you. Uh, it's called the Mark Challenge. This is put out by Christianity Explored. Uh, sorry, that banner is hiding some of it there. Um, but uh, this is a, a one-page document that breaks down the Gospel of Mark into small chunks each day. So it's not the full study guide that we have going on as a church. This is, this is more of a, an evangelistic tool for you. And here's how, here's how you might use this. Here's how this might work. I talked about potentially sharing, uh, inviting somebody to read the Gospel of Mark and, and then discussing it with them. So uh, you're having a conversation with someone and, and you tell them about maybe how Jesus has changed your life. Jesus comes up in some way because he's just such a part of your life that you're always talking about him, right? And the other person's like, oh yeah, Jesus, I, I mean, I guess I believe in Jesus, you know? That's happened to you before, right? Or they say, uh, Jesus, who's that? Or Jesus. And either way, you, you say, well, have you ever actually taken time to get to know Jesus? And they're like, well, uh, no, that sounds weird. How do I get to know somebody that I can't see? And you're like, uh, I know it sounds weird, but, but would you want to if you could? And they're like, yeah, sure, I guess. You say, great, would you be willing to re read the Gospel of Mark with me and discuss it? And then... Uh, they say, yes, I would like that. And you're like, great, awesome. Here's this reading plan. Here's this one page. It's not hard. Just read a little bit each day. And then we're going to get together in two weeks. And we're going to discuss what you read. And you tell them to ask two questions. Who is Je uh, three questions, I'm sorry. Who is Jesus? What has he done? And then what difference should that make in your life? And so you get back together, and however long they've read, it's fine. It doesn't matter. You get together as many times as you need, as long as they're reading. And you kind of let them set the agenda for what to discuss. And you ask them, what, what have you been seeing in those three questions? And you, you use what you've learned in these sermons to point them to explain, <laughs> explain the good news of the gospel. I'm telling you, that's going to help you as you listen to sermons. That if you're not just listening to them for yourself and for your own personal intake, but you're listening to then tell someone else, like, like that discipleship pathway does not have to be some crazy long process before you start telling somebody else about Jesus. Now, maybe you're thinking, uh, no way. No way. No. No. No one's going to want to read the Bible and, and talk to me about Jesus. No way. I'm telling you, I have used the Mark Challenge a few times now already. And I have yet to have anyone turn me down. Like, what's the worst that they could say? No. Or, <laughs> no. 
Oh, man, that was like a real stinger, right? I don't know if you can handle that. Sarcasm. If they say no, you just know that the Lord isn't drawing them at this moment. And you keep being a presence in their life, and you keep loving them, and you keep being a good friend to them, and all those things. And you say, okay, well, if you ever want to, let me know. That's it. Nothing really to worry about there. But if they say yes, then you can trust God that he's going to lead you and give you the words that you need in the moment that you need them, and his word is not going to return void. Use his word to do the heavy lifting. That's what I love about this this method or this, this way of doing this is that the word of God is doing the work of God by the power of the spirit of God, and you're just along for the ride. So many people in our society think that they know who Jesus is, but they have never really explored the gospel for themselves. So they need to be confronted with the reality of who he is so that they can get to know to love him too. They need Jesus proclaimed to them so that they can proclaim him to others. And so use the book of Mark, use God's word to do that work. Are you prepared? Is your life increasing a reflected, uh, uh, an increasing desire, reflecting an increasing desire to know and love Jesus more? Are there some crooked paths that you need to turn off today and get onto the Jesus' straight path? Or are you enjoying the straight path? You can celebrate that. If you find crooked paths, don't trust yourself. Don't say, I'm going to try harder next time. I'm going to jump the path to get over. No. Trust the victory of Jesus in your life. And as you trust his victory... Get ready. Because he's going to put some people in your life that need to hear about Jesus. And you're going to recognize that the world around you is not all that there is. There's a bigger kingdom. And it's already here. It's already at hand. And there's a king. And he's coming. And there's an urgency to this. And people need to hear because he's coming. And when he comes, there will be no more time. And there is an eternal hell awaiting them if they do not hear this message. But there is an eternal joy awaiting them if they do. What is there to lose? What is there to lose? Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.